0: Hey, what's going on? This is the
1: Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, August is here. Let's go. Buddy, you know what? We were just talking about this. This offseason has felt like one of the shorter ones because it feels like every week something ridiculous is happening. I'm like looking at the calendar. I'm like, oh my gosh, football season is here. Let's get it.
0: Football games will be played in this month. Not SEC games. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's all right. We still get to say football is officially here. Training camp is opening up everywhere. We're gonna have all the different storylines to do. We're gonna definitely have to do a fall camp factor fiction. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll wait like a a week or two, something like that, until we get some of the really good juicy storylines. Everybody's in camp already. and get some of those good cliches that are coming out and we can do factor fiction like we did last year. So we're gonna have a lot of different fall camp coverage. Of course, we've got an awesome show lined up today. Uh, Jim Caval of Influencer is gonna come talk about NIL with us a year into this thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I try to ask dumb questions. I want to ask dumb questions because I feel like there are a lot of people at home that are just trying to get this entire deal figured out what it has looked like in this first year, what the future could be. He is super, super plugged in. Even if you're sick of NIL, I promise you, he's not going to talk about it in a way where you're just really, really bored about it. So stay tuned for that. We're talking suits in figuring out mm-hmm. and we've got Lad of the Week. You're going to love my Lad of the Week. That's a little teaser. Cool. A little teaser. But first, we've got official quarterback rankings. (laughs) Will, you sent me the message, hey, we gotta make sure we do quarterback rankings on Monday. He sent me that on Sunday. I'm like, I'm on it. Mm -hmm. We are ready to go. Everybody else has their official rankings already out there. We kind of do because I came out with rankings. What was it like sometime during spring? Mm -hmm. I think it was during April. But now that we've had the off season, Maybe dig into some of these guys a little bit more. We have our official rankings going into fall camp. Not set in stone during the year, but we are on record with these. So a couple of things before we get to that. My rankings are different than yours and that's okay. <laughs> I haven't seen these I rankings, yours, by the way, so I have no, I don't, I don't
1: know what I'm walking into. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, you have a general idea based <laughs> on the conversations that we've had. We've talked about a lot of these different quarterbacks. I, I'm saying yours to everybody who is listening right, to this yeah. right now. And, and that's okay. If we, if we had the exact same quarterback rankings, I'll be absolutely stunned. If anybody comes away from this saying, Connor, you're smart, you nailed it. Every single one of those is exactly right. That'll be the first time <laughs> It'll mm-hmm. probably people be ask because that's not the way this works. As we know, everybody in the SEC feels like they have their guy. I expect people to be upset with these to a certain extent, but I'll try and explain them to the best of my ability. And I promise I've thought about this at length. And if you've listened to this show and know the depths that we go to to talk about quarterbacks, specifically what they do well, what they don't do well, you know that we're not just shooting from the hip in the way that others are when it comes to this subject. Mm-hmm. Another thing, remember that this is not Predicting how these guys will finish because if it was, I would probably just say LSU or Ole Miss quarterback with that number five spot. Mm-hmm. I, I, we're not doing that. That leads me to my other point. It is not just simply who has the best weapons, who is in the best position to succeed. As you heard on the the Tebow interview, I I, I kind of pushed back on him justifying ranking a guy higher than another based on their weapons. Mm -hmm. I I don't necessarily think that's totally fair. I try and look at how a guy has performed at this level and whether I'd want him leading my team tomorrow. Very subjective. I I get it. Another thing, these will change a lot over the course of the year. Last year, only five SEC teams started the same SEC
1: quarterback every single game. Do you know who those are? Five SEC teams. Um, Oh man. So Bama's one. Dam one. Kentucky? Um, Kentucky Kentucky's another. Um, oh, gosh, man. Because A&M didn't. Uh, wow. Oh No, because... Wait. Did almost Miss... Did they, no, no, no. They count because the bowl game was where old Boy got injured.
0: Yes. Okay. Yes. Ole Miss counts.
1: Uh, State had Rodgers all year, right? Correct. That's four. And, oh, five. I knew five was going to be a tough one. Uh, gosh. Let's see. Uh, nope. Not Auburn. I don't know. Who's five? Arkansas. Duh. AJ. Duh, man. Duh. I just wasn't thinking about him. But yeah. Shouldn't have started the Georgia game, but did anyone I was about to say, I remember him kind of like <laughs> being like, why is he out there? It's happening. That's what I was not like with Corral. I was like, did he start or finish that game? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cause Corral had the, the moment, a few moments during the year where you're thinking, nah, you, you probably shouldn't be playing on that ankle right. and you could use a week off or two to get right. But he still started every single game. Cause he's a tank. He is a tank. He is a piece of iron. I'm going to tell every single Carolina Panther fan. I'm going to tell my guys, T Bone over there in Charlotte, that he is a piece of iron. Anyway, we'll save that for another time. Injuries happen. Certain guys will not live up to expectations, which is a really hard thing to hear with how good the quarterback class looks this year in the SEC. What's nearly impossible to account for is the guys who are returning starters who get figured out and they don't really adjust well, okay? The guys who can't really react once there is a book on them. It is so tough to predict regression or how someone works through that until we actually see it. I thought one of the reasons that I I continue to give KJ the benefit of the doubt is that I thought he did a really good job mid-season working through that lull that he went through when Arkansas had the three-game losing streak and kind of came through it on the other side after he worked through those injuries as well and was a better player. You could say the same thing about Bryce Young. You could say the same thing about Stetson Bennett as well. One last thing, if you want to just base this these rankings on who wins the most games, this won't be the podcast segment for you. Right. It's not <laughs> predicting or not not predicting. That's the wrong word. Pretending that everybody is in the same situation when it comes to winning games is it's it's dumb. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's uh, people do it all the time. It's so frustrating. It's why you can't just sit there and present like quarterback wins are a real stat that should make or break your decision. And it's funny because I was on a show, I was on a radio show in Memphis and I'm listening to a couple of hosts and it was, you know, it was a great time. It was a good conversation. But, you know, I'm listening to them tell me about how Spencer Rattler just isn't a winner. And I interrupt them just to, to kind of bring up the, the, the other argument, the counterpoint. And say, hey, like, sorry to interrupt, do you guys realize that he's won 15 consecutive starts going into this season when you're talking about he's not a winner? And I say something like that because e- even being a winner, and I put that in air quotes, nobody can see me doing that, that is subjective and we can use it to construct whatever sort of narrative we want. If your entire argument as to why a guy is better than the other is, well, he beat him last year, sorry, I'm not saying that's (laughs) that's insignificant, but I'm going to need more than that. Mm -hmm. It can't be just that. And if you do really believe that, I'll give you Stetson Bennett. I'll take Bryce Young.
1: Bear? Yeah, they they split the <laughs> okay. series. It's a coin flip between those two. Uh, coin flip. <laughs> I'll say, Many are saying one and one a. I'll say, say two. Like I think that that point is exactly accurate about separating from the weapons because I think we've become so reactionary as a society that people like to say like, oh, well, you think that like you know Hinden Hooker is better than KJ? Well, KJ won like more games or KJ has X Y and Z. It's like it like at this point people rank quarterbacks to not be wrong, you know what I'm saying? They, they put guys near the top that they think are least likely to have a disastrous season, so that, because when you factor in weapons, you factor in like Bryce Young's situation, it's like, what's a disastrous season for Bryce Young? Nine wins, like, of course, it's very, he's the most safe one ever, you know what I'm saying? Whereas some of these other guys, it's like, things, they're co- like, you know, whatever, you never know, but a coach could get fired mid-season, this guy could still be playing great ball, and everything could be falling down around him, we've seen that a lot in the SEC
0: if you're doing national quarterback rankings and you have anybody except Bryce Young as number one, I'm not, I'm just not going to read the rest of your right. rankings. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to hear Caleb Williams. I don't want to hear CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud's a great player. I, I, I don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. I, uh, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Opinions can be wrong. And that, that is a wrong <laughs> opinion.
1: Okay. First of all, how dare okay. you? <laughs> how
0: dare you? Let's do rankings. And I'm also going to do the thing where I predict, who's going to start at each place. And if this ends up being a Malik Willis take, <laughs> I'm just going to wear it. Because sometimes you got to do that in this business. Mm-hmm. All right. One, Bryce Young. Two, Hendon Hooker, Three, KJ Jefferson. Four, Spencer Rattler. We're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. Five, Will Levis. Six, Will Rogers. Seven, Stetson Bennett. Fourth, eight, Anthony Richardson. Nine, Jaden Daniels. 10, Haynes King. 11, Luke Altmyer. 12, Zach Calzada. Here's a little surprise. 13, Mike Wright. Okay. 14, 14, Brady Cook. Mizzou fans, do not give me a one-star review. Please don't. I'll get into some Brady Cook stuff in a bit here when we talk about the guys that I'm projecting for the, the starting role. A few things there. A few takeaways. I shifted my thoughts on Will Rogers at number four. That's what I originally had him at uh, back when we did this in, I think it was April. Um, not necessarily because of anything he did or didn't do. I just realized that I find myself defending Rattler and Levis more. So that's why I moved them ahead of him. Again, a lot of these are really interchangeable and this is only for the sake of argument and all this is gonna get sorted out really, really soon. Mm -hmm. I know that the numbers are there for Rodgers and I'll still defend him against the people who say that the Air Raid puts an asterisk next to his numbers. Our good friend Jim Dunaway does that. (laughs) And he says, well Rodgers isn't a good quarterback. I have have a stake bet with him and I can't remember what it is. I need to go look that up. Mm But I'll say this about Rodgers. He makes throws into extremely tight windows. And I liked what he showed when he pushed the ball downfield, though. That's a little bit tricky because when he's at his worst, he's forcing throws that aren't there downfield, right? Will Rogers will never get a single high safety look coming off play action in the way that guys like Levis or Stetson Bennett get. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's entirely different. They face SEC competition, yes, but Rogers and his SEC competition is so unique, and that's that's what makes it difficult to rank. And obviously, when you're throwing the ball 50 times a game, it's it's different. I. I I defend anyone that's. I defend Will Rogers when people say he's not in the top half of SEC quarterbacks. I'm like, all right, right. He's third of the nation in passing yards last year. Okay, he was only picked off nine times in 683 attempts. That's good. He knows what he's doing, and I thought his comeback against Auburn was one of the great individual showings of the season in SEC play. I mean, just remarkable. So precise he was in that game in that comeback, and he had a, he had a few games where. Do just put the team on his back and not everybody in this league has shown that they can do that. Even might even be a guy or two ranked ahead of him that hasn't necessarily had to come up big the way that Will Rogers did that specific day. Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic example, in my opinion, of a guy who has a book on him and he's able to process what a defense is doing and he makes those adjustments and he comes out ahead. I love seeing that. I fell in love with watching Matt Corral because of his ability to do that very thing. Mm -hmm. And every time that Will Rogers starts cooking, we talked about this last year. It's surgical and he's really, really good. If you think that it's just a byproduct of the air raid, go back and watch the difference in his play from 2020 to 2021, because in 2020, it was bad. And it was bad with KJ Costello after the LSU game. I did not wake up choosing violence, Will. It's just- Why are we
1: still talking about KJ (laughs) Costello? That dude played like two games in the SEC,
0: anyway. Anyway, anyway. I mean, but like, there are fan bases in the SEC that saw the best version of Will Rogers. Ask Kentucky fans about that, Mm -hmm. okay? It, it, most of the throws, I get it. They're behind the sticks. He gets knocked for that. That's why he's not higher on this list, despite the fact that he finished third in the country in passing. But I'd still give him a slight edge over Stetson Bennett because of what he was asked to do in that offense. Should we talk about the ranking that I have for Stetson, which I'm going to get some crap for from
1: be, Georgia let fans? Let me talk about Will Rogers real quick. So I personally will put him a little bit higher, and I'll tell you why. So... We've talked about, you know, we're a big Hal Mummy appreciator podcast here, big Air Raid appreciator, and as you know, we've gone all the way up through the tree. In that, you know, Mike Leach uh, and his kind of style of offense was a big um, influencer of Josh Heupel, okay? And when you look at like the Josh Heupel offense, while it is technically a run-first offense, it's a very, it's a balanced offense. It's just a little bit faster, right? Well, back in the days of like Graham Harrell and such at Texas, uh, Texas Tech. That type of offense was completely unseen. You would see that, and defend, like defensive coordinators, you go back and look at it, they're still in base defense against that. And it's insane to look back at. The guys are out there trying to line up linebackers against the fifth receiver, and these guys are burning them down the field. Now, A style of offense that is that pass heavy, I feel is almost a disadvantage to a quarterback because exactly what you just said about Rodgers, that that team is living and dying by what he's doing. No help is coming. If he has a bad game, that offense is dead in the water and there's nothing they can do to stop it. Whereas, as much as I love Hooker, that run game helps him a lot. With Rodgers, every defensive coordinator knows they can go ahead and rush three. They can sit back and take away these tight little windows. And his game is going to be predicated on if he can hit 50 of those tight little windows. That's the crazy thing. When you compare him to a Will Levis, where it's like you're going to have this play action threat from C. Rod, you're going to hit a guy wide open downfield. There are not many guys streaking open downfield in the same way in the same way that they were in that offense in 2008. So I would say that to A lot of people who were still very old school about that offense. What you grew up watching that offense and what it is today and how it's defended today. We love Zach Arnett with a 3-3-5. You could sit back. It's good that they're the same team because you could sit back at a 3-3-5 and defend that thing to perfection. You know what I'm saying? In just that base defense. So that's my only note on him is that he makes it look easy, but if you put some of these quarterbacks in that offense, they would look like they were drowning, dog. Fair. and it's That's why it's so difficult
0: to, to, to make this comparison because could could Will Rogers execute the Kentucky offense and what they're trying to do with Will good Levis? Point. Probably not in the same sort of way. And I I was talking about this with with Nick Roush, my guy over at KSR. And the reason that Bo Allen transfers from Kentucky, enters the transfer portal at a very atypical time is he committed to an offense that wasn't that that system. Mm -hmm. And is he gonna be able to to have success in the air raid moving forward? Uh, Possibly, but he wasn't able to push the ball downfield the way that they want to in that offense. And so do you look at Will Rogers and do you consistently knock him for that? there, there's a certain element to that where you, you don't necessarily trust him to make every single throw in the same way that I think others can. But at the same time, it is really hard to do what he does. And just because you get a lot of attempts at it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a given that you're going to have this unbelievable you know passing season where we're talking about so few mistakes with just the nine interceptions. Mm-hmm. Okay, the and ranking. I'd love to have Stetson as my starting quarterback. I want that to be on record. Mm -hmm. I I do, because what I'm about to say, and there are Georgia fans who turn this off and are just absolutely disgusted that I could possibly rank Stetson as the number seven quarterback after he just won a national championship, Georgia's first in 41 years, in case you haven't heard. (laughs) I drive a Kia Forte. I previously drove a Toyota Corolla. Mm -hmm. I have no problem driving a Toyota Camry and getting from point A to point B with a car that's going to get me 250,000 miles. Mm -hmm. Okay? No problem with that. If you think Stetson is the number two quarterback in the SEC, look, you're entitled to think that. You can't. I think he had some extremely favorable things working for him Mm -hmm. and we can't pretend that his situation was the same as every other quarterback in this conference. The main thing? having the benefit of the, in my opinion, the most dominant defense of the 21st century that rarely led up two touchdowns in a game and made very quick work of opposing offenses. Stetson benefited from short fields. He benefited from the fact that he'd get in rhythm against gas defenses. And he played with Todd Munkin, who was on the short list of best offensive minds in the sport with how good they were in play action last year. That was the element that really took this offense to a different level, made them a top 10 offense nationally. Stetson can make a lot of throws. He cannot make all of the throws. Mm -hmm. Stetson could be a runner. Is he on the level of KJ, Hooker, Levis? No, absolutely not. But he's extremely tough. He really progressed in Munkin's offense and the guy did a remarkable job of stepping in, even though his most talented receiver, George Pickens, was out for most of the year, His most valuable receiver. Kiaris Jackson was banged up for most of the year and clearly the chemistry that he was hoping to establish with Jermaine Burton was not there. That's why he's at Alabama. Stetson was number four in the cup, in the country in quarterback rating. He averaged 10 yards per attempt, third in FBS. But I I want to see Stetson win a shootout. He only had four games last year with 25 pass attempts at Tennessee, the two versus Bama, and then the Michigan game, of course. In those games, 62% passing, 8.2 yards per attempt, 9 to 2 TD-9 T-Ratio. Brilliant all game. Yeah, uh, yeah that's fine. That, that's fine. I, I would say within those games, Brilliant against Michigan. Mm -hmm. He really was. Really impressive second half against Bama in the title game. But the rest of those four games, eh, you know what? And you know what? Maybe there's something to be said for that. We talked a lot about Tua and his struggles against those top 20 defenses. And so everybody, you're going to be judged based on how you perform in those key moments, of course. And he won a national championship. There's obviously something to be said for that. He's a fine quarterback. He really is, and Georgia can do a whole lot worse than Stetson Bennett as their starter. If he takes another step this year and shows that he can be that dude in a four quarter game week after week, I will gladly slide him up on this list, and I'll say, you know what? I was wrong. Stetson continues to show me things, and he continues to be able to overcome whatever two-star mailman crap narrative is following him, even though the dude is 24 and he's been in college since
1: the Reagan administration, all right? I'm just imagining him with like a Reagan Bush shirt on and it's cracking me yeah.
0: up. <laughs> that wasn't there a picture that came out with, with him doing that? Is there, I think, maybe, maybe it's, it's on film. It might be. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> somebody took it with a disposable camera or something like that mm-hmm. along the way. Um, okay, any any other thoughts on on Stetson before we get to some other quarterbacks? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think we've been a very pro UGA podcast. I think the thing about Stetson is, uh, what did Kobe say bangers? Uh, Friends hang sometimes, banners hang forever. Like, you can't take away the hardware, man. So at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if he's the second-best quarterback in the SEC or the fourth or the sixth because he did what he was there to do. He won a title, and it, it, arguing about him, I think at this point, is kind of dumb because he's great for that system, it works out, and he doesn't need to be better than anybody to, to validate what he's done there.
0: I've already explained the uh, the Rattler versus Levis thing a couple months ago, yeah. so I don't necessarily want to rehash that. If you want to go listen to that argument, I I, I went pretty in depth on right. it, um, so go back and listen to that podcast. Why did I give more love to Rattler than fellow transfer Jaden Daniels? Wasn't Rattler the one who got benched? Some people <laughs> may ask. <Funny. laughs> I keep coming back to this. Tell me who had to live up to the standard of Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts with a five star quarterback waiting behind them. And then tell me who played at a place that hasn't had a great quarterback since Jake Plummer. Okay.
1: Let me really think Yeah. Somebody's gonna well actually. <laughs> I the, was like, what was State. last Arizona yeah. State quarterback? Oh, tall dude. Uh, the one that was on the Broncos. Paxton Lynch. No, he was yeah, he was Memphis. <laughs> never mind. There was a guy like that that came out of there that was actually pretty bad. So never mind.
0: Okay. But the whole he got bench thing. Yeah. Overlooks the point that I continue to bring up quarterback rating of 158 coming into the Texas game It overlooks the fact that in 2020 Spencer Rattler was one of the 10 best quarterbacks in college football Mm -hmm. Okay, he was every metric shows that I'm not out here like Anthony triage PFF saying that the guy's a top three quarterback in America Okay, I'm not trying to die on that hill but Rattler gets more love from me because I'm old enough to know what it looks like when when it's right and it is so impressive. If you need a reminder, go back and watch Spencer Rattler at his best and you'll realize that his floor is much higher than what the benching would suggest. You cannot like Rattler as a teammate, as a human, and still admit that he was given all that way too early mock draft love because he can make any throw, and if he's actually gonna become a runner in Marcus Satterfield's offense, which if you go back and watch the, the, the clips of him as a runner, when he was able to do that at Oklahoma, that's not ideally what Lincoln Riley's offense wants, but that projects very, very well. So I, I'm higher on Rattler. I've seen what he's able to do against power five defenses. Don't just tell me it was just a byproduct of playing in the big twelve and he's gonna suck against SEC competition. There's gonna be a learning curve. The offensive line's not gonna be as good. I get it. But I am I am higher on Spencer Rattler than most and I feel perfectly fine with that. And the reason I had him at number four ahead of Levis is because the point that I keep bringing up over, and you know what, no, I don't need to rehash that. Cause it, that podcast was two months ago. We don't need to go into that. Brock
1: okay. away. I well, know it wasn't crazy. Okay, sorry. Just just got a just got a, a broadcasting deal with ESPN. Yes. Sorry, I was like because yes. I, I was thinking I was thinking the Lynch, I knew it wasn't <laughs> him. That was the last like good quote unquote Arizona State quarterback. Anyway, back to your point that actually matters.
0: <laughs> uh, wrong, yeah, wrong. Six foot six quarterback for the Broncos who didn't necessarily <laughs> wow, pan that, out. they,
1: better, they got her. anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's why they went short with Russell Wilson. They're like, all right, total one eight.
1: Yep. Let's do we it. all the tall guys Some have left feet. us hanging. We need a short king to lead us to victory. Yes.
0: Love that thinking. I'm I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Um, I I feel like I've explained a lot with Bryce and KJ. That's why I didn't necessarily think we needed to dig into that. I have no problem banging the drum for them to anybody who will listen while also pointing out that I think each one of them actually still has ways to improve. It's weird to say that there's not a lot of divide between spots two through eight. I have Richardson at number eight because I don't think you can move him ahead of a lot of those other guys until we actually see him string a good month together as the starter. I'm not doubting the potential. He's going to make some of the best plays we're going to see in college football this season. I truly believe that. That's That star power is going to be there and Florida fans are going to be watching some of the things that he can do with regular snaps and seeing that more in regularity. That might happen as soon as week one against a really good Utah defense. I still need to see how he reacts once there's more of a book on him because as we saw last year, he can get flustered. We know that. We've documented that. It's hard to judge though when those reps are so atypical. Can't really judge a guy when he's just coming into the game, random series here or there, only gets two starts. I don't want Florida fans listening to this thinking that I am down on Anthony Richardson. I am not. I watched Georgia fans hold their breath anytime he got a crease in that game, mm-hmm. and that was the worst game that he played all year. So that's that's telling, in my opinion. That upside is there for him. Show me that he can pick apart a defense. Show me that he can win games in a few different ways, and show me that his decision making is at that level. And then he's going to be moving up in a hurry. Uh, Will, anything else you want me to dig into? With, with quarterback rankings here.
1: Um, I'd say too, interesting note about Rattler versus Daniels. I personally would much rather have Rattler. I just, as a person who has Daniels, I think that, that Rattler had like, obviously this super high ceiling. He's not a dude that either of us I think would like to get a beer with. I think that, that we gotta separate that from, I mean- That's fine. I, yeah, like I understand why Steve fans do not like him. I understand why people think he's overrated. Like I said, I think his logo looks like, you know, a little. Like Trogdor from Guitar Hero. I think he's I think he's gotten away
0: from that a little bit. I think the, the logo is on the back burner for now. mean, I could be wrong on that, but I wanna say he's kind of not made that as as public as it was at this time last good.
1: year. Good. He's got new people around him. That's good. But anyway, yeah. so point being point being like, I'm not as much a special rattler like lover by any means, but I think that you gotta separate his talent from the mess of Oklahoma, all the different stuff. The two guys I'm very interested by are Richardson and Jaden Daniels. Uh I think that there are two guys that like in in their best form look very similar. Um if you look at uh, uh, Jaden's like freshman season at Arizona State. That's the type of ball that you're hoping to see Anthony Richardson, which is pretty mistake-free. Get some run, uh, some like run-first tendencies in there. Get, possess the ball, pound the like pound the air out of the ball. Keep it moving down the field. Do not put your quarterback in a situation where he needs to make a lot of risks. Do that type of stuff. Um, and then obviously like last season like there are two guys that i think you look at you have a picture of and then i read you their stats and you're like what like we talk about richardson and like i have not said this that a lot because i think it's super misleading but he's a guy that had six touchdowns and five interceptions last year as electric as he was at times and we talked about he was put in bad situations like i'm the number one banger of the drum for anthony richardson i understand that but same thing with daniels it's like okay he had 10 touchdowns and 10 interceptions last year you have this mental picture of him where you're like oh this guy is electric he's takes over the game like he can make like not all the throws but like he can make like he has that potential to hit a guy downfield in stride that's like electrifying and so point being i think both of those guys are pretty situation dependent i think we can say that at this point point. and i think that they've both been put in bad situations you know with richardson kind of getting like the mullen like okay fine internet you win like that was one of the most like chicken crap things i've ever seen a coach do he's like oh you guys want me to start this other quarterback i guess we'll start him against georgia and lsu and it's like yeah. are you serious bro like that was the moment i was like yeah, i was right about mullen because it's like you no coach should ever do that to be like i told you guys this guy. Was isn't any good let me watch him suck but anyway so point B. like i think they both kind of got torpedoed by their coaching staffs i think that at the end of the season we'll be looking at both, at both of them like wow like this guy like showed us a little something this year and obviously there's a lot more tape on uh daniels but a much worse situation we could argue so yeah i think those are two guys that i think will be in lockstep because denbrock has a very similar philosophy i think to napier anyway
0: this is my sixth year doing sec quarterback rankings and this is the toughest it's been for those middle spots for sure yeah and this is the first time i've really felt like man there are guys sitting there like eight through ten where i'm thinking they have a really good chance to be an all quarterback and that has not always been the case guys that don't necessarily have that upside and at this time last year we had no idea what to expect at so many of these different places and it was pretty well decided that Matt Corral and JT Daniels were fighting for those, those preseason All-ICC spots and then depending on how high you were on Bryce Young, you were putting him in that conversation obviously as well, but we had yet to see him get a start at Alabama. So it is crazy how things have changed so quickly and it's a good thing that you're upset about quarterback rankings because if you're not and if you kind of know your guy sucks. That's not the best place <laughs> to be. Been
1: there, buddy. Uh, yeah. I'll say, I'll say real quick, too. Like, I remember getting pushed back. I was say this was in 2020. Where I was like, yeah, this class of SEC quarterbacks, like, isn't that good? And obviously, that was when, like, Tua and Trask and, like, there were some guys there and people were like, oh, like, that's crazy. This is the type of depth that I... You say... Wait, did you say
0: 2020 or 2019? 2020. So, t- yeah, because Tua was... By, by 2022, it was, was oh, gone Oh, was he
1: gone in Well then, yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah. Mac, sorry. It was like whatever Alabama like, quarterback yeah. at the time, obviously, yep. Yep. they've been more or less interchangeable. But yeah, it yep. was Mac and Trask, and then it was kind of like after that, it fell off. And I remember saying like, no, 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 like, I grew up watching like South Carolina have Garcia, and like Tennessee have Dobbs, and like there were like guys and guys and guys and guys. This is the level, like we talk about investing money into football, investing money into facilities, investing money in recruiting, like all this different stuff. When you have like four teams that you're like, I don't know about that guy, you know what I'm saying? Like that's insane of a league this big. And that goes to show that like, what are the needs? What are the priorities? Every team has an answer pretty much. And so that's that's when we talk about what edges does the SEC have over a potential expanded big 10 that includes Alaska state, this type of stuff right here is what we're talking about. Cause it's like, yeah. okay, we expect this going forward, especially with Texas and OU, because this is not a league that you can win with, you know, um, Jake Coker anymore. You gotta have a quarterback have to win anything, and everybody knows it, and that's where we're at now.
0: Somebody's somebody just said, but George just won a national championship with Stetson Bennett.
1: <laughs> he's good, <laughs> but just remember, he's player. a good player. Like, he, I think
0: he's much better than Coker. I think that's fair, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would take Stetson Bennett over, over Jake Coker. Yeah, I, I would. And Jay Coker played tremendously well down the stretch, especially for that team, when everybody's queued in and Derrick Henry and they they got eight men in the box and Lane's just like, all right, it's Coker time. We're going to make this work <laughs> it's Coker time. masterful.
1: And to be clear, it's not a lack of quarterbacks that Georgia has. Georgia has like 10 quarterbacks lined up to play for them. So trust me, the next guy will not be Stetson Bennett. At maybe he will. I don't yes. know. Every time you speak of Stetson Bennett, he appears. He's like Beetlejuice. So maybe he'll be here next year, too. The
0: quarterback battles. The, I think there are, there are five legitimate ones. Let me just give a yeah. quick rundown of why I picked those specific guys. Um, Auburn, Zach Calzada, LSU, Jane Daniels, who we just talked about. We don't really need to go more in depth there. Mm-hmm. Um, Mizzou, Brady Cook, Ole Miss, Luke Altmyer. That's my surprise. Mm-hmm. And then a and I have Haynes King, which that, that battle feels like such a coin flip. Um, Auburn, Zach Calzada. It's fascinating to think about how much his play is going to impact two coaches in the SEC West. Brian Hartson, obviously, his job security. Yeah. How about Jimbo Fisher? If Zach Calzada is an above average quarterback in this class of SEC quarterbacks, (laughs) what would I say about Jimbo Fisher?
1: Oh my gosh.
0: That would be a bad look. It'd be a really bad look because it wasn't just that he came in in relief. It was that he had three years in that system and that was what he was. He was clearly the number 13 quarterback in the SEC. Every single metric will show you that that was the case. I'm not saying that I think Zach Calzada is all of a sudden going to be a top 10 or a top, you know, 10 quarterback nationally or, or anything like that, but I do find myself really interested. I don't think Brian Harson is just going to run it back with TJ Finley. I think that was the feeling that I came away with from SEC media days, just kind of hearing the talk about Calzada and there's more belief that he can execute some of the things that they need. And given the offseason with Brian Harson, how direct he's been, do I think he's just going to run it back with TJ Finley? No, I think the unknown of Zach Calzada and then a package for Robbie Ashford makes the most sense for what they're trying to do offensively. So that's why I went with him there. Um, and then LSU with Jane Daniels. I know Hester, our guy, keeps talking about don't sleep on Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm not sleeping on Garrett Nussmeyer. I'm not sleeping on Miles Brennan. Still not selling my Miles Brennan stock at all. I think Brian Kelly wants to see Jaden Daniels progress in this offense. And I think he gives him that ability to kind of turn into the version of himself that he was in 2019 when he had those weapons. That was when he was at his best at Arizona State. Can he execute in a similar way with a really good group of receivers that LSU has? If Keishon Butte is right, if he is on the field for that team, I think he makes the most sense to maximize those weapons with his ability to potentially be mobile with what is a questionable LSU offensive line. Mm-hmm. Mizzou, Brady Cook, why have him at 14? Mizzou fans, don't get too upset with me. I, I did not see much of him last year. You didn't see much of him last year either, people at home listening to this. And if you really like that first drive against Army and the Armed Forces Bowl, like that's- Listen to yourself. That, that's all well and good. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if that's I, what I you're still,
1: yelling at your podcast,
0: listen to yourself. 56 minutes without a touchdown drive against the service academy. That there, there's something to be said for that. Maybe I'm looking too far into it. I'm totally willing to admit that. Pretty telling that the two, the, the three times that Eli Drinkowitz has asked about his quarterbacks at media days in the main media room, two of the questions were about Jack Abraham, who's like 28 years old and on his 18th year of college. He's on like a six different school, and he was the, the walk on who um, couldn't win a job at, at Mississippi State, obviously, and so now he's transferring to Missoula. And then Sam Horn, the true freshman who they're asking about whether or not he thought he was going to be uh, on the roster this year because of whether or not he'd get drafted major league baseball four-star guy uh, a guy that Mizzou fans are hopeful is going to develop into the starter but I do think that Brady Cook gives them the best chance to be able to stretch the field do the things that Connor like couldn't necessarily do I think Tyler Macon, while talented doesn't necessarily have that same ability to stretch the field along with the mobility that I think you need in that offense that Connor like lacked that's why he's at Indiana now Old Miss Luke Altman the biggest sort of wild card one here, the biggest surprise. Lane doesn't always go by the beat of everybody else's drum. Everybody else's drum has been banging for Jackson Dart from the moment that they saw him and that that Aston Martin and that he was going to be transferring to Ole Miss. And I get it. I get it because He's the higher rated recruit. He's the one who played last year. Really, the only significant reps we saw from Altmyer, because Matt Corral is a piece of iron, confirmed, mm-hmm. was in that Sugar Bowl against a Dave Arana coach defense. And I talked about this before, the 180 that I was kind of doing on, on Altmyer, when I'm like, wait a minute, why am I why am I strictly judging him based on that? When Jackson Dart didn't face a defense nearly that good. He faced one team who finished in the AP Top 25. It was BYU. They held him to without a pass of 20 yards. He didn't like the world on fire in his one season as a true freshman starter. And I give Luke Altmaier the edge because of that year that he has in Lane Kiffin's offense. And I keep coming back to this. If you think Lane Kiffin's offense is easy to master, go back and watch that spring game and tell me those guys are running an easy (laughs) offense. They're not. Do not think that just because so many different quarterbacks have had success in Lane's offense means that it is easy to master. I think Luke altmeyer has that advantage. I don't think he owes Jackson Dart anything because he used up his one time transfer exemption. We'll wait and see how that entire thing plays out. If that rule's gonna be changed for now, though, Jackson Dart ain't going anywhere, all right? And Luke altmeyer has a chance to be the guy. He's the film junkie. I read a story from Nick Suss of the Claring Ledger talking about he's the guy who would text his high school coach at one in the morning talking about these different play concepts. You have to be a film junkie to thrive in that offense. And I think Lane is going to go with the guy. He's like, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. He didn't care back in 2016 when he's like, Jalen Hurts, that's my guy. I don't care that he's a true freshman. I got these guys, uh, Cooper Bateman, that are, that are going to transfer at a moment's notice. I don't care about that. Jalen Hurts is my guy. He always goes with the guy. He feels like he can execute his concepts. He didn't care that I was banging the drum for John Rice Plumley in 2020 he went with Matt Corral. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving Luke Altmeyer the edge. I think he wins that job. We'll see how that plays out. And then Haynes King. I just think the unknown of Haynes King is too intriguing for Jimbo Fisher. I think the time that he has invested into him as a player in that offense is going to allow him to win that job over Max Johnson, who again, most casual 27 to six TD and T ratio in the history of college football. Mm-hmm. Max Johnson had that. If you assume that just because a guy transferred in, he's going to win the starting job. I would push back on that and say, how many guys have been able to kind of transfer in, snap their fingers and start Jimbo Fisher's offense half of how many of those people,
1: their brother was almost a five-star tight end. Uh, an, important, <laughs> an important point. A package deal point. for a starting tight end and also a quarterback who will be on the roster. Um,
0: <laughs> Number one tight end. Number one tight end in the 2020 class. Uh, look, I, I'm not saying that Mac Johnson is a, is a bad quarterback. And if he ends up winning that starting job, it'll be because he has mastered those concepts. But I just think the unknown of Haynes King is is too enticing and we did not see him last year. You can't tell me that five quarters is a legitimate sample size for whether or not a guy can succeed in Jimbo Fisher's offense. And the athleticism is just so, so unbelievably enticing. It's at a level that even Kellen Mond's athleticism wasn't at. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think he's going to do some things that really make some people step back and go, whoa. And if you're looking at the spring game performance, I remind you the same exact point that Jimbo Fisher brought up that day, there was wind That's, (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. They both were very bad throwing the the football that day. And I'm not necessarily gonna look too far into that. I just, I'm more of a Haynes King believer. And I think Max Johnson has a little bit limited upside. And if he's questioning himself in that offense, I don't know if
1: that's the guy that you want to roll out there. So um, yeah, that's kind of my explanation for each. I have two completely irrelevant points. I'm now absolutely rooting for Zach Galz- Calzada to just be amazing so I can slander Jimbo. I think that would be hilarious. And, <laughs> and second, yeah, because if he succeeded at a like you said, that would be chaos. Second, I just hope that Zabulia has a great start to his coaching career. I hope he does not have to play football this Love year. It. I want to see him on the sideline holding the crap out of the clipboard. So good, good for Love him. Love it.
0: I want to see that. I want to. See, I want to see more of Luke Doty this year too. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice to see to, to see South Carolina actually in some blowouts and win some of these non-conference games comfortably instead of needing a walk-off field goal to beat East Carolina. See Luke Doty out yeah. there. See see what he can do because how quickly we forget he was the four-star guy who was giving the keys to this offense last year, and obviously the timing of his injury was just brutal in the beginning of fall camp but I I would like to be able to see more of him because there's a path in which he's the future of South Carolina. I criticized him for not being able to stretch the field, very limited sample size, end of 2020. Hard to take anything too seriously with what South Carolina was going through from a roster depletion standpoint, but I still would like to be able to to see more of Luke Doty. Anything else? I think we covered it. That was a lot. I'm feeling good. A lot of breath. A lot of quarterback talk. Uh, that's, that's life in the SEC these days. Okay. NIL talk. Let's kick it to Jim Cavell, guy who really knows this space well uh, over there at Influencer, has worked with a ton of these SEC programs, understands kind of the ins and outs, and really understands kind of the way that this, this business and this, this entire market is trending one year in. So here is Jim Covell. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Influencer CEO, Jim Cavell. Jim, uh, we're a year into NIL. Go wherever you want with this. Uh, And you've probably been asked a variation of this question a lot over the course of the last few weeks here. Is this kind of what you expected the industry to look like?
2: Uh, Yes and no. I think from a standpoint of there being traditional NIL, which is the NIL we've known at the pro level coming down into college, and then non-traditional NIL where we've seen some more creative ways to... Uh, pay college players for an exchange with their name, image, and likeness. I I did think that was going to happen. I thought there was going to be some new things at the college level that we had never seen at the pro level before. Did I know that it was going to look and feel the way it does? Did I know collectives were going to emerge? Did I know some of the things were going to play into recruiting to the degree they have? Probably not. But um, I think, you know, that's the headline is there's two NILs. There's traditional NIL. And then there's non-traditional NIL and, uh, they're two different stories, two different experiences for the athlete. And, uh, they're on two different trajectories. That's what Jimbo Fisher and
0: Nick Saban were kind of talking about. It it felt like at least there's two very different interpretations of it. I think it's really easy to to paint with a broad brush when it comes to NIL and say that, oh, a 17-year-old kid shouldn't just be getting $9 million to to pick a school. And that college sports is doomed as, as a result, if that's what the market is. But I keep coming back to this the skepticism I have about the numbers that are being reported. And I'm sure you've talked a lot about this. And, you know, it's one thing to hear Nick Saban talk about Bryce Young being a millionaire before he ever starts a game at Alabama, as opposed to hearing a representative leak that a guy got paid millions of dollars to go to Miami instead of Florida, just kind of where do you stand with with all of that? And, And how, how do you interpret some of these figures and some of these misinterpretations
2: that are out there? Well, there's definitely a lot of misinterpretations out there and, you know, being uh, a software partner with 223 Division I schools um, and being the software that student athletes use to, you know, be found, uh, contracted with, paid, um, you know, by anybody that's working with them. We've got a lot of data that I can see and I can tell you that, you know, Texas A&M didn't pay 32 million for the recruiting class and, official, um, you know, Yeah. There's a lot of other things. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just so blown out of proportion and there's such a FOMO aspect that everybody has, but especially coaches, they think that they're doing awful. And yet sometimes the people that they want to be like are saying, well, I'll give you an example. I was with a bunch of athletic directors yesterday and some agents and some coaches at an event that we put on where we talked about NIL And uh, an agent said that one of his coaches, head coach, had called him up and said, we're really behind with NIL and we got to do it like like this coach is doing it over at this school. Hmm. And we got to get back on pace. He's doing this, this, and this, and we're behind. And he said he happened to represent the other coach that this coach had called him about. And three hours later, the other coach called him and said, we're really behind in NIL and we got to do it like this coach. He was talking about the other guy that originally called. It's like, everybody has FOMO. And so I think first and foremost, the numbers are blown out of proportion. and They've created a fear of missing out. But I think there's also this reality that, you know, NIL is one of those things that was written about by the media and and written about for a long time before it started. And it was written about with Trevor Lawrence and Zion Williamson as the example for every article. And those guys are the 1% of the 1%. And what did it do? It made athletes think that they were going to have a big payday on July 1st, 2021. They all posted on social media the same post. that basically said, hey, my DMs are open for business, as if a bunch of money was going to show up in their account on July 2nd. And that's not reality. NIL is just like getting a 4.0, making the team, getting a scholarship, getting playing time. You get out what you put in. And ultimately, there's two ways that you're valued with your NIL. Athletic performance. And branding initiative. And so athletic performance is what position you play and how you do on the field and what your stats are and what star rating you were as a recruit, and what your stats were in high school and what school you go to and what conference they're in. And then branding initiative, how often do you post on social? How much engagement do you get? How many followers do you have, et cetera, right? Yeah. And most athletes are good at one or the other, right? Adrian Nunez plays basketball at Michigan. He doesn't play much. He gets very, very few minutes a game, but he's a TikTok superstar and he'll make seven figures when it's all said and done with NIL while he's at Michigan. Bryce Young is a phenomenal quarterback and won the Heisman at Alabama. And he's the quarterback at Alabama, like Saban said last year before Bryce had the Heisman season, just because he's the quarterback at Alabama, it commands value. Bryce doesn't post a lot. If Bryce posted more and was a big social media guy, and he was that, he'd make more money. If Adrian played a lot and was great on TikTok, he'd make more money if you're great at both. But most of the time, guys or gals are good at one or the other. And so um, what we're seeing now is because of this non-traditional NIL aspect that's evolved where collectives are pooling money together and paying athletes for simple NIL value exchanges like an appearance at a dinner um, is, you know, coaches – and collectives and others are trying to figure out what are, what are the real values of these athletes. And I think what you're going to see is more and more of these high school athletes who haven't proven themselves in a stadium with 100,000 people in a big moment are going to have a lot more trouble over time getting a collective to actually do an NIL deal with them. Whereas the portal athletes are going to have a lot more collateral and leverage in those conversations when it comes to getting NIL deals done.
0: That's the market correction that that I think a lot of people have have talked about. To to a certain extent, there's got to be some sort of element to that. And it's not that guardrails are are going to be put up just strictly as a result of that, but you bring up a great point. Why would you pay X amount of dollars for a recruit if there there are all these questions and unknowns about how they're going to perform on that stage as opposed to just being able to go in the portal? And that's why there is perhaps this this market that exists and that was really well-documented with the Jordan Addison case, when you hear though a coach say it's not a like, case yet, don't call it a case. Okay, it's, it's not a, a case. case
2: yet. <laughs> the, not... example, the example. <laughs> the example. The NCAA <laughs> never know. Made... You know, we've had Alston case. We've had the abandoned case. I just Good don't point. want to confuse anybody.
1: <laughs> Good point.
0: The uh, the Jordan Addison story, I should say, not so much case. Yeah. So all right, when you hear that Jim, when you hear somebody like Jimbo say that NIL has nothing to do with A and M's historic class as somebody who knows this space extremely well and knows how skewed those numbers are, but at the same time, you know that that's, that's a part of the process. What's your reaction to hearing that?
2: Well, I think it could mean one of two things. One, on one side, NIL is still so new that the actual promising of deals that are going to be paid out is not a part of those recruiting classes as much as NIL is now a new opportunity and you can sell within the rules that if you come here, we have a very awesome fan base and we have these systems in place for them to find you and work with you. And so there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you. And here's some examples of athletes from last year who took advantage of those. And I think there's there's two different scenarios the first one is literally inducing a recruit with a promise which a lot of people think is happening too often. And a lot of people think there needs to be an example made by the NCAA since they've come out and said that that's not going to be allowed. The second one is selling opportunity. And I do think that that part has played into Texas A&M's recruiting class, just like it could play into any other big time school that has a big fan base. And if an athlete does just some common math and looks at some current examples, it could play into their decision. So, you know, I I don't know how much it did or didn't play into the current class, but I know this, next year at this time, when we're talking recruiting, and I don't mean a year from now, I mean really just whether it's end of this year or February, you're going to see the actuals, not potential, not what if this and we can sell this and smoke and mirrors. Actuals are going to start to play into, because they're going to have data who goes where. Hmm. And there's going to be schools who emerge that, you know, Ohio State came out and said, we have done uh, almost $2 million in NIL deals across all of our student athletes in the first six months of NIL. This was back in January of this year. And I can tell you right now, several schools have done more than that. They just don't want to publicize it because they don't want anybody putting a number on them. Kind of like, you don't share your salary with people, but Ohio State marketing that, is them trying to show that there's a lot of opportunity here at The Ohio State University. And we're going to continue to show you that it's real with data. And I think that's going to continue all the way into the coaches understanding that data. Right now, coaches, if a recruit does mention NIL and does say that another school offered them a certain amount of money, they don't even know what to say to that because is that athlete worth that amount of money? Is that other school offering more and they're overpaying? Are they offering less? Or if, if we could connect this person to a business in town, what should they pay? The market has not been set yet. The value of the athlete has not been set. And so that's where the data is going to start to just like Zillow shows you what the value of your house is based on comps of what houses have sold on your street, based on what market you live in, based on where the market is today. You're going to have enough data from star recruiting rankings, stats, College stats, if they're a transfer portal athlete and social media influence stats to actually set the market and understand athlete values and coaches and collectives and brands and all these players that are in this situation need to understand value more.
0: If FPS breaks away from the NCAA and there's a new enforcement agency who actually plans on enforcing the rules that they make up instead of just having them out there and then kind of hoping that everybody's going to self-police, which has not happened at all. Am I correct in assuming that the only way to avoid these antitrust lawsuits is if that agreement allows for athletes to be treated as employees?
2: Yes and no. I mean, so the big thing about handing trust is if if there's no other options for the athlete as far as schools to go play football or sports at, and there's only one association that governs just about all the schools under one set of rules, and they're setting a new rule that's limiting the athlete, and they don't have a choice to go somewhere else where it might not limit them. That's That was the problem with the NCAA setting NIL rules, was not that the athletes aren't employees yet. The problem was the NCAA just lost the Alston case. They didn't just lose it. They lost 9-0, okay? And the Alston case was all about this. And basically, the NCAA felt like if they set NIL rules, even though it would create a new opportunity for athletes to actually earn with their name, image, and likeness, any guardrails that those rules had would be limiting. And there's not really another choice for student athletes. There's the NIA and JUCO, but that's not a big enough footprint. The difference is if there's just 30, you know, you take the top 30 football teams, okay, in college, and they create their own league. And they do, the, you can start to set rules and enforce them because you don't have to go play in that league. You go play it one of the you play at the, the the other league that stayed right what if you it's know?
0: the top 130 though what if it's the top 130 with FBS and it's it's pretty much understood look FBS is better level of competition than FCS and it's 130 schools are going to this new enforcement agency yeah, I, not related to I, I got you
2: I, I don't I don't I think it's still the same example because there's still you know another thousand schools they could go to hmm. but uh you know I'm not an antitrust lawyer I, I just I think that It changes the game a little bit if you if you start to downsize the sample of the options. And right now, that's not the case because you got this one governing body governing this whole footprint of 500, not just football, 500,000 student athletes. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's just you can't have limiting uh, just rules in general, not just NIL uh, and simply staying away from setting.
0: How would you advise Arch Manning if he said to you, Jim, I am seeking guidance on how to navigate this space?
2: I'd say follow the footprint of Paulo Banquero. Paulo Banquero made a million dollars or seven figures with his NIL. He turned down still well more than he made because he wanted to be the number one pick and he was willing to sacrifice working with a big time headphones brand because it would take time away from him working on his game and being ready for the NBA draft. You're at that level. There's a lot of money for you to make at the next level. Make some money with your NIL using brands that you, first of all, work with brands you use because you're arch. Every brand's going to want to work with you. Work with brands that you use so that they're brands that fit your brand and pick three. That's it. Mm. And think like an investor. You're now investing in three brands that you believe you wear their clothes, you use their products, promote those, do some deals with them. And after that, waiting list. Work on your game, make the NFL, work with the other brands later.
0: There's something to be said for the Herm Edwards approach. Herm Edwards used to always talk about athletes and how to manage wealth. And he would always say, just get one car. You don't, you don't need four cars. Just, just get one of this. Just get one of this. Have one of your specific. It's like everything else.
2: Moderation. You know what I mean? And um, I think that's great advice. And I think for these, these top athletes, they have so many choices that they really do need to be selective. But the good news is for Arch or a Caro, they can have an agent. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's not that all athletes at the college level can't have an agent. They can, but they don't make enough money where an agent, at least an agent from one of the big agencies is going to be interested. But, you know, CAA works with Bryce Young. CAA works, worked with Bancaro when he was at Duke. And that helps the athlete be able to manage those things with expertise. One of the biggest problems right now in NIL is, Athletes have a place to go when they have an injury. The school has a team doctor and a trainer. Athletes have a place to go when they struggle in school. The school has an academic advisor and a tutor. Athletes don't have a place to go when they get offered a contract from a local restaurant and they have four questions about it. The school is like, we can't help you with that. There's liability in us doing that. And the athlete needs resources. And unless you're arch, you're not going to make enough money where you're going to have that help there. And that's that's what needs to change. And it is starting to. Schools are starting to hire staff get state laws changed so that they're allowed to, and that will evolve.
0: Okay, so let's do the alternative to that. Three-star recruit at Akron slides yeah. into your DMs and says, Jim, how, how can I create leverage for myself in this space? And I'd like to think that your response would be like, buddy, just go score some touchdowns and then we'll talk about creating leverage.
2: No, I think, listen, if you really want to you know, learn how to make some money with your name, image, and likeness, that's a great thing. I wish that, uh, you know, my favorite thing about NIL is it gets athletes to work a new muscle that most athletes wait until after they're done playing to work, right? It's the networking business mind muscle that while they have the jersey, they actually could get more traction because they're still on the team. People will take their calls, respond to their DMs and their emails because they're still on the team, you know? And so I would, if I'm that Akron football player, I'm telling him, Hey, listen, first of all, Go to the businesses you like to drink coffee at, eat lunch at, buy clothes at. Tell them you're on the football team. Tell them you're allowed to promote their products on your social media. Tell them you have relationships with teammates that can do the same thing and put a deal together and learn how to put a deal together. That's an awesome, awesome exercise. You're probably going to make some money, get some free product, and leave school with a new skill.
0: What's the biggest fear or potential hurdle right now with NIL?
2: I think the biggest hurdle is schools' involvement or lack thereof has let a lot of other folks in to directly deal with the athletes. Some of those folks have the athletes' best interest in mind. You know, they really want to get the athletes paid for, you know, an NIL exchange like an appearance, and that's where collectives have come in. and And some don't. Some are are, are having athletes sign contracts that are signing their rights away, and it might be for thirty or forty grand, but it's under what they should get paid, and. They can't do anything else now. And so I'm just concerned about the schools because they're not involved, letting so many people directly interface with their athletes when if they were more involved, they'd be able to really not only protect their athletes, but empower them. And uh, I do think that, as I said earlier, they're going to get over that hurdle. But like everything else, I think, you know, the top 10, 20% of schools are going to hire staff or contract with an agency that's dedicated to helping their student athletes first. And then I think, you know, the next 50% will, and then the last 30%, well, it's going to take time, but it's the most important thing. There needs to be resources on campus in people that are skilled in deal-making and contracting, skilled in activating and fulfilling a deal and helping the athlete do that, skilled in helping the athlete manage their business and pay their taxes. There needs to be people on campus that can help the athlete with those things.
0: I'll let you pick um, what's either a success story or a horror story that you've witnessed with NIL in this first year of it.
2: Uh, there's, there's so many great stories of athletes who have gone out and, and created a business for themselves. I, I love the Tr- Chase Griffin story. Chase is a, a backup quarterback or was a backup quarterback at UCLA. One of our clients, and, um, you know, did a great job of, even though he wasn't a starting quarterback and um, in a position to use athletic performance to generate a bunch of opportunities, he still was a quarterback at UCLA in a market with a lot of opportunity and just was ready with a strategy to pursue any and every opportunity that fit his brand. He not only made money, um, but Chase really built a brand for himself where now as he leaves, he's really looked at as an NIL expert by the most important crowd to look at you that way his peers. And so we, we did an NIL summit in Atlanta uh, a few weeks ago where we had 300 of our athlete users kind of show up and we had awesome speakers like Tim Tebow and Triple H from partners of ours, like Campus Legends and the WWE. And I got a chance to speak to the athletes and it was great really just being around them all and learning from them. But Chase won athlete of the year, best male athlete of the year for NIL. And it's amazing what a star he is to his peers. And so I really am excited for what he does next in his career.
0: Last one for you, 20 years from now, will we look back on NIL the same way that we do with freshmen not being eligible to play like, you know, pre-Herschel Walker days?
2: No, I, I, uh, you mean, will we look at it like it was archaic before it was allowed? Yeah. um, Yes. And no, I think we've been around so long without NIL that, um, you know, it's going to take maybe 20 years would do it because um, there, there'll be efficiencies. In 20 years, there'll be a way that every athlete that makes March Madness from all 68 teams will all have automatic deals from brands in a group. They're just hmm. going to get paid, right? Like that should happen, right? That shouldn't be hard. It should be easy for Yahoo brackets competition uh, to have a deal where all the athletes can promote the brackets to the fans and make money. Like that's just... Should be easy. We see it at the pro level as that stuff happens more and more. I think we will look back and say, why did it have to be so hard? You know, but I know the realities of that. And you do, there isn't a player's association. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between, you know, Binghamton university and my home state of New York or Alabama, but they're in the same division. There's a lot of reasons that it's taking, it's going to take a little bit to get there, but we probably will to an extent.
0: Jim, this has been awesome. Really, really appreciate the time, the insights. I uh, wish you the best of luck in this uh, this ever-changing space.
2: Yeah, man, thanks for having me. And uh, I'll continue to read and listen to your stuff. It's great. What's my destiny, mom?
1: You're gonna have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, fullest. You never know what you're gonna get.
0: Figure it out, we're talking suits had this idea before SEC media days. Um, I, I used to be four suits at SEC media days in four days. I've dialed it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't really like traveling with four suits. Also, it's all about the first impression. That's what I've kind of realized going to these things. If you make that first impression day one with a suit mm-hmm. and you get people complimenting, you, Oh kind I haven't seen you in a year. Looking great, man. Looking great. Mm-hmm. Look like the best version of yourself. Set the bar a little bit high. And then slowly dress it down as the week progresses. By by the end of the week, jeans, chinos, whatever you're wearing by Thursday is fine. You're passing the dress code. That's not really that's not really an issue. But I have changed my approach because I used to be like very much, hey, I wanna I wanna look this way every single day. And it's one thing if you're, you know, going if you're doing like five or something like that, that's a little bit different. You gotta on camera work. Um, then, then you got to be ready, ready to go for that. But I will, I, I talked about that with you mm-hmm. before. I brought one suit this year because I'm like, all right, I hadn't done fine bomb live on set at SEC media days. And if I bring one suit, I promise you, I will be willing this into existence and I will get asked to come on on Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then sure enough, yep. Tuesday, it happens. So just brought the blazer that I wore on Monday and made sure, you know, I I had a shirt and tie, an extra shirt and tie ready to go, but I willed it into existence. So that's what you gotta do with suits. Just play mind games and it does. It does impact the way that people think about you, though. I think there's something to be
1: said for that. I was gonna say I, I, that was a fire suit. I know that was a fire suit because you weren't to my house with the full blazer and everything. And I was like, <laughs> I know this guy's feeling themselves. <laughs> I haven't gone back to the hotel yet,
0: so I just I just went straight from SEC media days to, to Will's house mm-hmm. to, to to be able to to record that that pod that we did on Monday. And I'm just in full suit, ready to go, man. Ready to go at all times. I'm not quite. You know, not not quite Barney from How I Met Your Mother. Mm-hmm. Not we're, we're not getting to that point. He was uncomfortable by the end of that show. I, I'm telling you, like, there's no... And, and if you look at some of the later seasons, he is not in full suit. And it's just, it gets down to just dress shirt. I, I think even in the later seasons, he didn't have, he didn't have a tie.
1: Yeah, Barney like, Stinson as a character. So, like, my day job that we have, we have that show with Laugh. And we've had lots of meetings about, like... Barbie Stinson would never fly today, just, like, as a television character. And I think that Probably by be it. it was only NPH could have pulled that character off, number one, because, like, he was Good point. He was very, like, him being such a wholesome guy off-camera, I think, let him get away with a lot as that character. But it's just funny looking back, because I've cut stuff now and be like, oh, I laughed super hard at this when I was 12, and now I feel bad about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, I think a lot of people... They, their impressions, at least of, of our of our generation, like if you if you watch that show, mm-hmm. and maybe you know, given the time, I remember having a lot of thoughts about suits based on what yep. Barney Stinson was telling me. And how I met your mother, and uh, there's there's not really a, a tutorial out there about you know when you should buy your first suit, how how many you should have, how much you should spend on one, etc. And we kind of all are. are pardon the pun, figuring this out right. as adults as we go to more events that maybe need it. If you don't necessarily have a workplace that requires you to wear one every single day, you're not forced necessarily into the action. Your parents probably have a different approach to suits that that you did. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to assume that. And by the way, I mean for this to be men and women who listen to this podcast, because I'm sure there are plenty of women listening to this who are asked to wear suits in the workplace, maybe not every day, but sometimes. Right. And so there are probably things that translate. Maybe it's a little bit different. The difference for the most part, women are only wearing a full suit in the workplace, not necessarily outside of it. Whereas, you know, like if you go to a a wedding or something like that, most women aren't necessarily wearing suits. I don't need to get into women's wardrobe here and all the ins and outs of it. Um, It's a lot. I've realized that as
1: pretty as going to a legal career, it's like, I am lucky to be a dude, cause there's a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But if you're wearing a power suit, I just think Jan Levinson Gould, Yes. not Jan Levinson. Jan Levinson, ah, she kind of goes off, goes off the rails a little bit too much. Jan Levinson Gould, she knows knows how to rock the power suit. Mm -hmm. She wears that every single day, dressed for the job you want, not the job that you have, she told Angela. 100%. So yes, not trying to be sexist here. I own three suits. I bought one for my wedding. That was the first suit that I bought. Um, another, the one that I wore that first day of SEC media days that I wore to your place, mm-hmm. I bought a, uh, bought a blue suit shortly thereafter, just to be able to kind of mix up the looks. And then I got one handed down to me from my dad, which actually fits me really well because he bought it for my wedding. After he got cancer, he lost a bunch of weight, he needed a new suit to be able to, to fit him. Mm-hmm. It was kind of very weird putting that on for the first time. That's, that's got a little bit more sentimental value to it. The funny thing is, is that the one that I picked off the rack. Wasn't necess- that wasn't necessarily like tailored to somebody is the one that I get the most compliments on. Hmm. Weird how that works. Yeah, yeah. shout out to, shout out to the fine folks at Banana Republic. They make a great suit, Oh yeah, they really do. Yeah, they made me impulse buy a suit. Think about that. I don't impulse buy much of anything. You know that. Oh, facts, yeah. I am
1: expecting you to pull up with at least a little bit of a sheet on what type of suit we're looking for. Kind of like the laminated <laughs> Andy Reid sheet and like picking one out.
0: 12 pages of notes. Yeah. <laughs> So what do, you, what do you mean? This is this is how you guys set up set up your pants. I'm not inseam. I'm not really crazy about that. I've seen others that that work. Mm-hmm. Um, this this isn't really this isn't really my vibe. I, I like having multiple suits to be able to rotate between for attending different weddings. It's nice to feel like you can kind of match different shirts, ties, mix up the look, all that stuff. I'm not a three piece suit guy. Don't do that. I don't own a tux either. Haven't. I'm 32. The only time I've ever needed a tux, been able to rent it. Not an issue. Don't necessarily feel the need to buy that just yet. Didn't wear one for the wedding. I also usually avoid the lighter colored ties with the darker shirt, mm-hmm. which a former coworker that we both know um, said is too gangster of a look. And I, I don't look. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that take, mm-hmm. but I realized the one time I tried to go for that look, I couldn't stop thinking about that. And I didn't want to think about that.
1: So I avoid it. Yes, I actually have. Uh, I have a pair of shoes that are identical to that same coworker. I know exactly what you're talking about, and they're the, some of the coolest shoes I have. So one thing he did know about it was that type of stuff. I'll give him credit.
0: And to be clear, I think he meant like
1: mob. Gangsta. Yes, yes, that's, yes, that's yes, what you yes, was yes, talking for sure. about.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, uh, any suit guidelines for the lads and ladettes?
1: Yeah. So. Um this is another one of those where our body type definitely matters a lot. Really cool, Bill, uh, Bill Parcells, the big tuna. I feel like I'm shaped a little bit like him, but like with bigger arms, which so kind of hard to fit, like an off the rack suit type of vibe. Uh, so for me, like I have three suits just like you. I My one that I like, could go to is I have, I have a black one, a blue one, like a dark blue one, and I have like a light, fun blue one. Uh, That gets brought up maybe once a year, the fun one. Uh, And I'm a dude that like, hey, every time I wear a suit, I pretty much need to go to a tailor of some kind because my legs have gotten bigger, my arms have gotten bigger, something else has gotten, like whatever, like I'm just an interestingly shaped lad. Uh, So like I remember buying suits for uh, Trumpet Awards whenever we went down to LA and like John, Bless his heart. He is the most standard-shaped human on earth, other than his head, he which is. is massive. He has a massive yeah. head, but the rest of it was, like, normal. And he was able to just grab something off the rack and be done in 30 seconds in, like, men's warehouse or whatever. And I was in there, and I was like, you know, it's going to take me a good 45 minutes, big dog. I, I hate that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sucks. You know what? Those, those people are the worst. And I, I am I, I'm a, a little bit of the smaller build, but my, my body type's a little bit weird, kind of like, you know... The, the shoulders are a little bit wider than i than i think most people my size are so that doesn't always doesn't always translate and i, I get kind of frustrated sometimes when i you know just even buying t-shirts and crap like that mm-hmm. i'm like in, in what world does it make sense that a medium is too short on me when i'm 5 8. you know okay? like, that, preaching to the choir here. <laughs> that's so dumb uh so i i always say if you have the means to be able to get some of the a suit tailored, not necessarily every single thing custom fit, Mm -hmm. because there are different distinctions, but if you get something tailored, find a sale, that's that's what I did as a young journalist in in Nebraska. I'm like, I'm gonna find a sale, I'm gonna go to men's warehouse, I'm gonna get something that I feel my best in. Mm -hmm. Because I don't necessarily, like. Depending on what you're wearing a specific suit for, I just want to feel good. I want to feel like I'm not just putting on something that that looks awkward on me. I want to feel like I'm looking at my absolute best, and I can wear this to, to multiple things, and I feel confident in it. So that's always the, the advice that I try and try and preach to. To the few people that actually ask for my opinion when it comes to the suits.
1: I will say really quick, because I remember Rosilla like it was big on this. Men's Warehouse is probably a scam. And yet I end up waiting the probably. last moment at every event, and I end up in the same men's warehouse, looking at myself in the mirror like, you dumb butt. You are here again. You could have gone ten different places, but here, but you're here again looking like Big Tuna. So anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe not the best podcast for Men's Warehouse. Although I you know what? Depending depending on what you're looking for, I do think that they check a lot. It's of boxes, there.
1: No, I'm you can get that. anything you want there. I just feel like every time I feel dumb because I have a weird body shape, and anything off the rack is gonna look weird on me. So that's my only point. It's like it's my own fault for waiting that long.
0: Perfectly fair. Perfectly fair. Let's go to the Facebook group. Um, I asked the questions, do you enjoy wearing suits? Why or why not? How many do you own and why did you settle on that number? What's your hard rule that you avoid when picking out anything suit related? Three-piece suits, yeah or nah, and then suit horror stories, please and thank you. I don't think I have a suit horror story. I don't think I do. I never like ripped a suit You've never had a suit horror story? No, I don't think so. Um, Gosh, no, I'm even thinking back to homecoming or prom or something like that. I don't I don't think I've ever ruined a suit or any, anything specific like that. I mean, knock on wood. Never 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 had anything that that comes to mind immediately. Maybe spilling on a suit here or there, but that's like just, just take yeah. it to the dry cleaners. Oh yeah, that's the other thing. Always take suits to the dry cleaners. I have suits at dry cleaners. I have a, my suit at the dry cleaners right now that I just reminded myself I need to go pick up. <laughs>
1: They were they waiting were up the squatters right to that one. They were like, oh man, 24 days, this is all mine. <laughs> Buddy, I gotta get
0: there, I gotta get there, yeah, make sure I get what's mine. All right, uh, let's start with this one from our guy Emery. Emery says, to me, a suit almost entirely comes down to the shoes. I can deal with moderately comfortable clothes, but those wood bottom shoes can uh, get the you know what out of here. Um, I don't wear a suit often enough to have rules or advice, but uh, love a good accent colored shirt that matches wedding colors is a solid choice. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did not realize until I went to a wedding when I was in my 20s, know what the groom is going to wear because the weirdest thing is accidentally dressing like the groom or the groomsmen when you are not one of them. Yep. Be aware of that. Ask that question ahead of time. It might be a little bit weird. Ask it well ahead of time. Ask it like a few months. Don't ask them the week of the wedding. That's just, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Um, But ask a little bit before time. If they're wearing, you know, a charcoal colored suit, or something like that, it's okay if you match the the suit. Just don't wear the exact same shirt and tie combo. (laughs) Bad look, Mm -hmm. Um, you're just in for an awkward night if you do that. Be prepared, Um, matching, you know, trying to avoid matching what they're what they're doing is is something that a lot of people probably don't think of, but it's definitely worth the time. And you know, just like with bridesmaids' dresses or whatever. If you're if you're going to a wedding, you're not a bridesmaid. Maybe maybe just make sure. do sure you're not trying someone. to do the if exact that's thing. That's not your
1: rule. Just know your rule.
0: Yeah, just know your rule at every single wedding. Uh, let's go. Andy Cohen says you gotta follow Steve Harvey's rules for suits. Here. <laughs> If you have that kind of confidence, man, more power to you. I don't, I couldn't pull that off. I'd I'd be second guessing myself the entire time. So much of wearing a suit is mental. If you feel like you're wearing a color that doesn't really suit you, you're gonna know it. And everybody else is gonna know it. I had a buddy in high school, who used to bust out this lime green suit all the time. And he felt like his best self in that suit. I didn't think he looked particularly good in that suit. I thought it was kind of a weird look for him, but he would bust this out every once in a while. Like, he'd bust it out like a New Year's Eve party or something like that. But he felt his best, and he was his most confident wearing that suit for whatever reason. And you know what? Mm -hmm. More
1: power to him. It worked. Didn't wear it to any prom or anything like that. That would have been weird. What are are Steve Ayer's rules? I see a YouTube. You can't give us homework on the part. What does that mean? Do you know what that is? Um... (laughs) I'm going to assume it's be as bold as possible. It just is um, my secret to flipping five suits and they say, buddy, share. This is the point we not to pull up a YouTube video and read log Come on, I want to know that, but I'll figure it out. Uh,
0: flip on any any episode of Family Feud, I think you can get a general idea of what Steve Harvey goes for with his suits. Oh, yeah, no, um, he,
1: he crushes it. Yeah, like you said, it's a confidence thing for him because he, he just knows he's the man. Yes, yes, that he is.
0: Um, Daniel Priest says, too hot down south to wear them with any regularity, facts. Once a year for business, twice a year for weddings, kind of, two suits, one blue, one gray, no to three-piece suits. Is a three-piece suit a try-hard move?
1: If you really, it's like the old Chris Davis metaphor, right? Like if you really just put the barrel of a a three-piece suit and it looks fire, it's like the best look you can have. But if you miss it by an inch, you've missed it by a mile.
0: You can't wear a three-piece suit everywhere.
1: Oh, there are very, it, very, very few places you can wear a three-piece suit, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and there are certain elements of a three-piece suit where if you just kind of dress it down and you're just going with the vest, that's techn- you're technically wearing a three-piece suit. You right. may just not have the jacket on you mm-hmm. throughout the night or something like that. That look is, uh, I have no problem whatsoever with that look. But if you're the person that insists you must have the three-piece suit at all times, I, I would say maybe that's a little bit over the top, maybe a little bit over the top. But is again, that, is that a cultural it's all about the right side.
1: Because like I could never imagine going to a wedding in Atlanta, Georgia, wearing that just cause it'd be hot. Like almost True. any time of year. Like, is that bigger up north or is that just universally like kind of hard to pull off?
0: Yeah, that might be, that might be climate dependence. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're, you're busting out the three piece suit for a, for a fall wedding in, um, in Baton Rouge. Don't think that's gonna happen. <laughs> again, what kind of fall wedding in Baton Rouge really exists? Um, anybody that's there is probably there out of spite anyways Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah I don't think you want (laughs) to shoot yourself in the foot that much bad idea Uh, let's go to this one Uh, this is good Tiffany Art says this figuring out is just for the guys have Lauren and Brittany give you all some ideas next time our significant others have obviously given us okays on suits in the past of course um tiffany also adds although i'm thinking connor must be getting ready to go to a wedding or a job interview since figuring it out is usually about what he has going on in life love the pod keep up the great work
1: <laughs> constructive criticism you call that
0: totally constructive i really meant for this to be for women as well because i think wearing a suit in the workplace while different i think is something that a lot of people have to think about. You have to think about buying a blazer. Do you buy a blazer for something that you could only wear in the workplace, or do you buy it as something that you could wear to the theater or something like that? I don't particularly the know the answer to that question. The theater. See Hamilton. Uh, no, I don't have a I don't have a job interview. Um, not that I know of, at least. Uh, I don't have anything coming up with any weddings. I didn't have a single wedding. Listen, guys,
1: Connor looks really this good on the Monday of Media Days, and been excited <laughs> about it since then. And that's what's going on. It is like <laughs> this is this is a, a heat check podcast. I was like, I right, feeling myself a little
0: bit too much. Let's let's talk about suits. No, um, n- nothing coming up where I have to wear a suit. Actually, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think we're I think we're good there. Just think it's a really interesting topic. But thank you for the feedback. Really appreciate that. Uh, let's go to this one from. Uh, Nick Ruark, Nick says suits, weddings, funerals, and birthdays only other than that would never wear one My older brother ripped his rental tux pants at my younger brother's wedding reception I don't remember how that situation was resolved But for a good while he was going around the reception with a noticeable rip in his pants I'm gonna venture to say that 95% of rip situations when it comes to pants formal pants Attempting a dance move, you probably shouldn't have. (laughs) I was thinking the
1: same thing. It's either a sizing issue or you were trying to hit the worm right quick. There
0: was something there that you had a a personal heat check is what you had. And you realized at some point, this was a bad idea. Shouldn't have tried to make this happen. Maybe there are other, you know what? I shouldn't say 95%. That's maybe a little bit too high. Let's go 88%. You get your pants caught on a hook on a chair that you're unfamiliar with and it rips away. And then you think to yourself, I gotta return this to, you know, to the rental company. What am I gonna say? You gotta damage the suit that never turns out well. That's a, definitely a moment of panic that can ruin an entire night. You gotta be really careful about those rentals, man. Yeah, Really, really careful. I even worried, because worried, we, uh, we rented suits for my brother's wedding, and I came away from it being like, did I sweat too much in this? <laughs>
1: Are they going to be okay with that? you could be a sweaty boy uh, mark off at the <laughs> end. Yeah.
0: Am I about to get charged like like an extra 50 bucks because of sweat? Because I hope not. That'd be a pretty gross thing to have to justify. Hey, why did we get charged an extra $50? Couldn't contain myself.
1: <laughs> <To sweat. laughs> Listen, dude, they put on the electric slide. It was over for you, boy. Buddy, I was I was <laughs> not out there to take it easy.
0: All the moves were coming out. Mm-hmm. And instead of ripping whatever, you know, pants, jacket I, I rented at. I just sweat too much in it. That happens to the best of us. You're, the jacket should come off when you hit the dance floor. That's another. Oh yeah. Another, another way to avoid that sort of problem. Because usually you're not renting a shirt as well. That's kind of your own thing. You spill on the shirt. You could take care of that yourself. But if you're doing that with the rental stuff, that gets a little bit sticky. Mm-hmm. Yes, pun intended. Um, let's, let's do a couple more of these.
1: Let's do, can we do Michael Darks? Yeah, let's, do you want to read that one? Yeah. I'd love to be a suit guy, but I have a confession. I'm 32 and don't know how to tie a tie. I've tried watching YouTube and asking other adults, but I still can't do it. But if by the grace of God, I can learn one day, I would try to watch the suits from the 2003 NBA draft as much as possible. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, so this is a fish. these are the Steve Harvey suits by the way yes
1: these are like the suits that like for a seven footer coming out you get Chris Bosch LeBron all those guys it is a full your grandma's drape situation just fabric hanging everywhere and I would go ahead and say uh, you know man every time I have to tie a tie I just look up that little YouTube video I could probably do it on my own but I have to do you? yes like I could do it on my own I'm, I'm here to tell you right now but I have to have that little security of knowing that I've done it the approved way and that it's not coming off of me
0: the YouTube. The best way to go did it when I was in college. Uh, 2008 was when I learned how to tie a tie, mm-hmm. and I realized I can't just have my dad pre tie all these ties for me if I because i had to wear a tie to you know fraternity chapter, stuff like that. Yeah, and Forgot you were I a can't just job. have a big difference between us
1: <laughs> I, personally. I wouldn't label myself that, but my father is turning red right now. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs>
0: Realize that uh, probably not the best look if I've got my dad pre-tying all these ties for me. I should probably just figure out how to do this myself. That way I can troubleshoot this. And just watch the YouTube video and then practice it, practice it, practice it, practice. Make sure I could do it like three, four times over, mm-hmm. not just do it for the one instance that I need it for. That's how you actually learn how to tie a tie. That's the secret. What they don't tell you in the YouTube video is you need to do this four more times to feel like you're actually comfortable with it. Otherwise, you're not going to get it. You're just going to look up to the same YouTube video. Maybe that's why they don't say it because they want you to come back to that YouTube video. They've <laughs> been far
1: views, the views on the the Bush administration for this one YouTube video.
0: <laughs> Buddy, I wish I was the person who came out with that back in 2000. 2007 or whatever youtube was in its infancy and i came out with the original og how to tie a tie video Mm -hmm. because i I don't know what sort of money they were able to make from doing that specific video being the first person with the best seo on youtube Mm -hmm. but that person's probably just killing it right now living on it living on a yacht somewhere just living the good life could have been us Mm -hmm. Missed opportunity okay uh let's let's do one more Uh, a lot of great responses here we do have um Let's do... Let's do this one from Garrett Young. Garrett says, if you are able to get a properly fitted suit, it looks and feels great. As someone who has neither the disposable income nor normal body proportions to get a properly fitted suit, I low key hate wearing them. Plus, many of our rules for suits are completely asinine. For instance, the rule about leaving the bottom button unbuttoned from stems from King Edward the Seventh, who allegedly became too large to button his waistcoat all the way and started leaving the bottom uh, button of his jacket undone so it would fit better. English fashion followed suit out of respect for the king, and a new trend was born." That's a great point that I've never thought of, ever. But I, I practice it 100%. Mm-hmm. If, if you're, you got to leave the bottom, the bottom button unbuttoned. doesn't matter if the tie is showing a little bit, you leave that thing unbuttoned. I, I remember getting into a debate with my father-in-law a few years ago. I think it was like at our wedding, actually. <laughs> And he was like, no, 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 you button all the buttons on the, on the, the suit. And I'm like, no, you leave the bottom one unbuttoned. On That's the way that you do it. And he went back and forth with it all night just to kind of gauge where everybody <laughs> else was at.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there's, I don't know why. We just do it. We just follow that, that sort of fashion rule. And now, because we're so programmed to seeing it unbuttoned, it looks weird when all the buttons are done. Mm-hmm. Or when all the buttons are buttoned. So, I don't know. He's right. We take weird rules when it comes to suits. I don't know why we do that. Shout out
1: to King Edward the Seventh, a literal <laughs> thick king, a thick king who just had a big tum tum, and he was like, "You know what, lads? I'm just gonna let it all hang out." And they were like, "Look at him! Oh my God, this is revolutionary! We gotta do that too!" And here we are, <laughs> oh, two thousand years later, just feeling the effects. Anyway, that was probably—it was like three hundred years, I'm sure. It was a horrible timeline. <laughs>
0: if, if if we can do one thing that people are still doing hundreds of years from now, we've done it right on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We're going to figure out what that one thing is. Maybe it's when our bylaws come out. Maybe hundreds of years from now, friends won't be letting friends bet on preseason Heisman
1: favorites. Oh, big facts. Or, you know, composite recruiting rankings, I feel. Big mm. big, big deal. The, uh, the, what is it? The cumulative the recruiting The talent rankings? rankings. Yeah, the talent rankings. Big on that.
0: Yes. Big deal. Big deal.
1: Um, Lad of the week. I have one. Mm-hmm. Do you have one? No, oh. not yet. I was supposed to get to one. I'm sorry. I failed you, Connor. But it won't happen again.
0: That's okay. That's okay. I got you covered. Dan Mullen. Oh, boy. Brett McMurphy reported that he's close to being added as a studio analyst to ESPN would make a lot of sense for him. I know there was the initial rumor that he'd be an offensive analyst in Georgia, and a lot of people were like, wow, Dan Mullen can't get a job anywhere. He sucks. Why did Florida have him as their coach for four years? Um, th- that's not necessarily the case, in my opinion. That was just more of a convenient sort of deal. Dan Mullen needs to be a Power 5 OC. Oh, yes. When it's all said and done, he needs to be a Power 5 OC. I, I don't know how how he gets to that path, how imminent that path is, but he's pretty well suited for TV. And I think he's going to be great at it. And if you don't think so, Urban Meyer is really good on TV. Okay. Mm -hmm. Urban Meyer Meyer knows less about offense than Dan Mullen does. I'll just say that. He already has the the trial run in the books kind of with ESPN, did college uh, college football playoff coverage with them for a little bit as well. But I I just think that the studio analyst is the best in-between job for somebody like Mullen, who got the twelve million dollar buyout from Florida, they still get to watch film. Their name's kind of out there. They basically get to sell themselves on. They get to sell future employers that they know what they're talking about, while also kind of informing the audience as well. So I, I just think that it makes sense for Mullen. He needs a rebranding. Get him in the studio, not an on you know an in the booth type of role where he's on the call for specific games. But I think he would he would thrive in that studio role. I would love it if our friend Matt Barry was teeing up Mullen. On college football live, oh,
1: man. that'd be awesome. That would actually be pretty fire.
0: I would just, I would just text Matt questions about Mullen all the time. <laughs> what is he? I
1: don't I think breakfast is he.
0: I need to know more. I need to know more. Uh, what is, what is he, what does he say under his breath when you guys go off air? What's the, what's the thing that he just digs you for? What, what does he say about that? What, is, what does he say after he breaks down you know, Anthony Richardson uh, about why this specific play worked? Can you, can you give me some insight on what Dan's saying off the record, too? No, we'll have Matt on uh, if he's able
1: to team up with Mullen, and we'll definitely have to ask him about that. got a wallet-sized picture of Dak Prescott, this wallet. Um, <laughs> I will say really quick, I had one written down, and I forgot it, but I remembered it. Ladder of the Week, Russell Wilson. <laughs> We actually talk, oh. we talked about him earlier so I forgot that I had him as land of the week. Have you seen Bronco's country let's ride?
0: Every single college quarterback in the country is doing yes. it. JT Daniels is doing yes. it, Spencer Rattler's yes. doing it. It's 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 all the rage if you're not showing up to a photo shoot as a Power 5 quarterback and well it doesn't it doesn't have to be just Power 5 quarterback. If you if you're a quarterback, you show up to that that photo shoot. <laughs> You do your best Russell Wilson imitation. Instant way to go viral.
1: Yes, I have come around to re-liking Russell Wilson. I think oh. Russell Wilson has a very interesting uh, 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 like timeline in my mind. Because remember, he took Matt Flynn's job with the Seahawks, people forget, which obviously worked out for him. But I was like, oh, this guy's whatever, like da-da-da, and then like, he kind of like, like he was good early on, and then people kind of realized he was a little bit annoying. But then now I've like come all the way around on him and that he's with Sierra. And the thing about Russell Wilson is, I thought for a while he was putting up an act. But I literally think that's who he is as a person. I think he is just himself all the time. I don't think he goes home and is a different person. And so, from the, do you remember the Mr. Unlimited stuff? How could I forget it? Of course, thank you. So for those of you unfamiliar, Russell Wilson one day just decided to refer to himself as Mr. Unlimited. Now for people like me or you, that would be something we were making up, but that is who he is. So going back to Broncos country, let's ride. We love that Russell Wilson has found himself into a happy situation, you know, with the Denver Broncos. He is able to express himself. He is able to put himself in the upper echelon. Hopefully again, he was rated as a tier two quarterback in Sandoz piece, which is, I feel a little bit low. So, but at the end of the day, you gotta stay true to who you are. That's about, you know, what being loud of week is and kind of whack slogans is what he's about and so his have gone viral he's provided unlimited entertainment to us and you know just Broncos country let's ride
0: speaking of guys I wouldn't want to have a beer with Russell Wilson might be at the very bottom of that ranking in the NFL
1: I would like to have a beer with Russell Wilson and Spencer Adler simultaneously and just watch them just kind of try to go back and forth and figure each other out let's you know what
0: let's just throw Dan Mullen in there as well where it's with those four
1: with long socks and Jordans on it's just the four of us. that would be you a got, treat you got
0: yeah, pleated khakis <laughs> under the table <laughs> you've got Russell Wilson just saying god knows what um yeah I, I you know what that, that would make it entertaining like a, like a bad movie it's just gotta be so bad that it's good
1: Russell Wilson i been be here everybody he sits down the order, he orders immediately. It was like, little tip there, youngster. You know, they, they grade you, they time you whenever you order from a menu in these draft interviews. So I've never stopped. Three seconds, boom.
0: Mr. Unlimited. Yep. Can't teach that stuff. Um, quick announcement. We are back to two pods a week because it's August. Mm-hmm. Football is here. We got great interview coming up later in the week with John Talti. Uh, who wrote the book about about Nick Saban and his leadership? All of the secrets of Nick Saban's uh, leadership, which is a great, great read. Um, and he's got a lot of different nuggets that have come out about that book. You've probably seen a couple of the things that have gone viral in college football circles about that. So great interview coming up late in the week. Leave us a five-star review. We don't load you with ads, so if you could do that for us, that would be awesome. Just do that. That's your good deed for the day. Mm-hmm. Give the Saturday on South podcast a five-star review. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name red on air with figuring out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.